I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Welcome to Fever FM. Uh, tonight we're in the bit of the gap between all the football that's going on and will go on in the future. And of course, we've got our favourite man to come in and talk all things Phoenix, David Dome. How are you, Domey? Kia ora all. Good to be back again. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a year, I think, Domey. We get you in every year when we... Start of the season, we're... yeah. Start of the season. We shouldn't... We You should know all the questions by now. They're the same questions. We just yeah. change, change the year on them. Very good. We're ready to go then. <laughs> so it's let's start off with the the leading into the women's side because that's been the thing with the most change and obviously with the women's World Cup sweeping through New Zealand, um, there's been a lot of change. Domi, how's all that started? Well, we we were always wanting to get the rigs changed. We always felt that the rigs, you know, with the current restriction on um, visa players to us was, was always going to be like it difficult for us to field a competitive team in and of itself. So we kind of rolled the dice. We were, we were working in the back office to try and get that change through the board at Football Australia. And, um, you know, I had a conversation with, I had a conversation with James Johnson actually way back when I was in Wollongong, just as I was coming out. Um, I went to visit him in his office and I said, look, we're, you know, we're happy, we're thrilled to be part of this, but, you know, you know, can we have some insurance that once this whole COVID thing rolls out and, and we get a pass that we can go back to a more realistic setup? And he, he gave me a verbal assurance at that time, which, you know, in hindsight, maybe we should have got in writing, but in the end, it didn't really matter. So we're, we've got a few people on, on the board of Football Australia who understand our predicament and, and support us from time to time as required. So we got those regulations changed and we sort of rolled the dice on it and started working pretty closely with temps right at the start. So, well, look, if we change this, who, we, who could you go after? We initially looked at, you know, Swedish players because we thought, you know, being that they were based at NTCIS and they saw that facility there, would they like to keep on? Temps made a few uh, initial inquiries, but most of them were contracted or were moving on to big clubs. So then we kind of shifted focus and he found some really good signings. And that was it, really. Um, we're always looking to strengthen the New Zealand players as well. And, and you know, you know uh, Kelly Brown's doing so well in, in, in New South Wales. And um, as you've seen, we've, you know, been chasing, haven't actually been chasing Anna Lee for quite a long time. I think it's fairly, you know, common knowledge that we tried to get her involved last year, but she did a, she had the injury literally just before the start of the season before we are going to, I think we I think we we're actually going to announce the signing the following week or something. So she's always been on our, on our radar. We'd want to be, um, signing and bringing in and I thought she was you know outstanding for the Ferns at the World Cup I thought she was the best player in that team and you know just thrilled that we could get her across the line and you know we've got uh, the the essentially three Americans but one of them being in Venezuela who seen in training they look really crash hot they've come off a season so they're really fit and rearing to go um, and we still got one more to do so really thrilled with how the women's team's coming together. Um, bit of a setback um, losing uh uh, Millie Clegg well Millie Clegg and also um, Lily Allfeld yeah so. I mean Lily look I spoke I actually spoke to Lily today um, and I think Temps mentioned it in one of the releases we did look we we think Lily's fantastic she was so even though she didn't play last year she was so great around the club we're going to try and keep her around the club um, if we can for that coming season we think she's a you know the, the perfect club person um, she has she hasn't had surgery on her back yet. In fact, she doesn't know when that's going to happen. She's still working through that with ACC. Um, probably unlikely, even if that comes through that well. I think it's unlikely she's going to be available this season. But we want to keep it in around the club some way. And if she can, if we can, she can be in, in Wellington uh, when she does a recuperation. It helps that we've got the physios here as well. Yeah, Millie's a different kettle of fish. So we put it, we thought it was a good off on the table to Millie. Um, I think that she probably wanted something slightly different. You know, she, you know, wanted to be guaranteed first team football, which we were prepared to guarantee to anybody because nobody coming in, you know, can we possibly say you, you know, you're going to play every minute of every game? I mean, that's just not the way it works, right? You, you picked on form. We don't guarantee those positions to anybody. You know, nobody in the club, Oscar Zavada doesn't have that in his contract that you're going to play first team football every week. Um, so we didn't feel like we could agree to that, and so we pivoted and, and moved on and. 
Um, I think we've made some three really cracking um, signings for players up front. Yeah, um, how did uh, Temps uh, find these imports? Because I mean, it's, he's almost starting from scratch, and whether you know, I'm not sure of his contacts. I guess in the states. No, well, he, he does. I mean, we because we put a lot of players, you know, through the academy, we have players going to the States all the time on scholarships. We've made a, a decent network. There was actually an amazing um, array of people who came through from the Women's World Cup, including the head of the Manchester United female program. Um, so Gilly actually um, touched base with that person and they spent a bit of time together. They came down to the academy, watched a few games while they were here. Um, and then we just use, a, 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 you know, sort of networks and contacts. Agents now have both men and female, male and female players. So we sort of tapped into those networks as well. Um, but yeah, no, um, Gilly and, and, and Jake Piper, who's, who's come on board as well, and Tim's all sort of worked on that and, and to find the players that we thought could make a difference. And as we know in the, in the A-League W, if you've got someone at the top that's going to bang in 10, 15 goals, you, you're going to have a good season. And that was our, we talked about it as well. That was our number one priority was to find someone that could score goals, someone that could create a bit, um, and uh, potentially a goalkeeper as well. So we're still we're still looking in that space. Uh, that was going to be my next question. So signings to come. So that the goalkeeper uh, position is kind of the only one at the moment. That that'll be the last one. Yep, that'll be the last one for the for the uh, for the women. Like we've done, um, you would have seen all the, the scholarship players that have been announced. Really good players coming out of the academy, super exciting. Um, and then obviously, you know, Kelly Brown coming back. You know, she's obviously looking like she's in red hot form. I mean, you look at that team and you go, well, that could be a cracking team this year. Hmm. Um, with with the, all the new signings and with obviously coming off the back of the World Cup, have you seen much of uh, an uptick or any change in the either the engagement or memberships for the uh, women's game? Uh, memberships are actually we've sold more memberships so far this year. Even though we've only just announced Jerry Collins, we've um, sold more women's memberships than we did last year, but it was off a pretty low base. I think you saw the. Sydney and Brisbane and Melbourne have said they've got record numbers. So uh, we've got, you know, it's a decent number as well, but it's on a pretty low base. So, but it's, it's certainly encouraging. And, you know, there is a lot, of, there's a buzz around that team. I mean, sometimes it's hard when you're internal to gauge it from the outside, but internally we're pretty excited about it. And there seems to be a lot of excitement around the team from, uh, you know, people from the fans and outside our organisation as well. Mm. Um, you, you mentioned Jerry Collins, obviously you've announced that. What's the actual uh, numbers for um, attendance or um, capacity at, at Jerry Collins? It's a couple of thousand. It's about 900, about from memory, about 990, something like that in the stand. And then, you know, you can put more around the outside as well. So we're looking to sell out as much of that as we can every game. Uh, Porirua City Council have been, I've, I've had a couple of sessions with them. They've been super supportive. Like they have really going out of their way. They're going to put staff on there every game. The mayor's put every game, the women's game, booked in in her diary already. Um, there's, there's going to be lots of support staff. We're going to try and do like the food trucks and, you know, do as much as we can with the crowd there that we can do. Um, and if we can create that atmosphere, because ultimately that's what we want, just a really tight, you know, atmosphere that's loud and really supportive of the team. And we think that could make a huge amount of difference. Um, obviously getting out there is going to be um, a bit more of a stretch than, say, coming into the stadium. Um, is there anything else going on in that kind of area for yep. Yep. people out? Yep. So there's a couple. Number one is that the Pariwara City Council will put on shuttles between the station and the ground to and after, uh, before and after the game. There is going to be car parking. We haven't finalised all the details, but there's a school around the corner where we can do car parking. And we're looking at doing um, buses. Um, like if Yellow Fever, if you guys tell us you're going to be at the back bencher for the games, we'll put on buses from the back bencher out to the ground and, and back again. Um, if you know you guys are going to commit to players or, or commit to numbers coming, that it's going to fill a bus, we'll put the bus on. Well, they're coming from my house then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever the pre-game hangout is these days, if it's still the bencher, we'll go there. Or if it's, uh, oh, we're all old men, Domi. It's uh, we go. We come from the house. We can't afford to drink and uh, go to football. Well, that's that's the offer. If, 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 <laughs> if the fever is saying we will come and pick us up from this uh, uh, this place or venue or whatever it is, and we'll fill a bus, we're onto it. Oh, surely there's a couple of bars at uh, Port East we can we can establish ourselves pre-game. Mm. 
<laughs> is, is it purely a, a, a financial decision to have those games not at the stadium? No, not purely. Partly. But we also wanted the atmosphere. You know, we started off really well with that first game with 5,000 people, which was excellent. But then, as, as you would have seen, the numbers just dwindled over the, the course of the season. And it was just, you know, when you've you got 1,000 people um, in a, in a 35,500 stadium, it's just cavernous. And again, like we've talked so many times, with that, because it's an oval, you're not close to the ground. Do you know what I mean? It just wasn't a great experience for the players or for the fans. So we started exploring other venues. And like I say, Potirua was super keen and super helpful. Um, and with the recent renovation due to the FIFA World Cup, we thought it's a great venue. Um, and like I said, the fans and the kids better get nice and close. Um, did you look at any other stadiums? Um, the likes of the Hut Rec have gone down a treat in the past, also Petoni Rec. We looked at both of those. Hut City Council, they've put a lot of money into those grounds. One, um, Hut Rec is now a cricket ground in the, in the summer, and they put a lot of money into turning it into a first-class, I think it's first-class cricket pitch or whatever it is. So they didn't want to ruin it by putting football on there. And Petoni, they're doing a renovation. Um, and there's not, I don't think from memory there was a stand or not a big enough stand at Petone. Anyway, we, I, had a, I had a couple of sessions with Hutt City Council and um, we went down the track a few times, but by the, by the time, this was actually pre-Christmas or pre-New Year last year. By the time we got to Christmas, it was, while everyone was keen to make it work, it just wasn't good timing for them. Uh, Newtown Park was the other major one we looked at um, and there, um, we'll do one game at Newtown Park, but Newtown Park, there are so many restrictions in terms of, you know, you've got to, half the season, when we put the dates, we finally got the dates from APA and we put them in front of um, Welling City Council. There was about half of them they couldn't do anyway. And it's actually a you know, comparatively expensive venue compared to Potirua. Um, and there are a lot more restrictions. You know, you've got a zoo next door. They have their own clientele. How do you do parking when you've got the park? You know, the zoo wants to have its own parking. Um, there was more restrictions about what you could do on number two. We wanted to put like uh, bouncy castles and, and stuff up there for the kids. We thought it'd be a great viewing platform for kids, but we wouldn't, couldn't do that. Um, food trucks was much more difficult in terms of getting licenses in and it, it all became much more difficult. But we all, I mean, it made a lot of sense because that kind of was our old home. You know, we have a relationship with Wellington U in the past. We thought it'd be nice. We were looking at, you know, we could we you know, give the bar to Wellington U, be a nice little community activity, all that sort of stuff. But it got a lot. Of, I got hard really, really quickly, whereas probably it became very, very easy. And like I say, and, and when it boiled down to it, there were actually very few dates that Newtown Park could do. When you stripped out uh, renovation times, athletics, bookings they had for other events, there was hardly anything left. Just speaking of um, restrictions, because I've heard, oh, I've seen a bit of rumbling about this on social media. Um, what's the plan if we're in the the fantastic position of of selling out every game and there's there's too many people? You know, we've got memberships in theory that might um, outsell and outstrip the capacity at that ground, and if they all wanted to show up. What's the plan? What's the what's the thing if we're in that that fantastic position of having too many people trying to come to these games at only a two thousand uh, capacity? Yeah, their memberships won't outstrip it though. We're not even close to being anything like that. So we're not at the same level that the, those you know city and and Brisbane and Sydney are. Um, if we do get to that sort of two thousand, there is the the issue is well not the issue the the flexibility is there are lots of GA areas in terms of the grass and you know areas behind the the, the goals which we could utilise. Um, I think we'll know pretty quick when we go on sale. So we'll go on sale. We want to go on sale next week, um, all things being equal, which would be fantastic. And we should get a That gives you a pretty good indication, your pre-sales. Even if you do not very many, you can sort of do, you know, you can extrapolate out. So we've got a long history now of, of ticketing sales. And so we kind of know where it's going to end up. The, un, the big unknown is always the game day on the game day, how many people walk up. And it might be we get to a situation where you go, do you know what, we've sold two, you know, 2,000 people are in here. You put up the sold out signs and then absolutely right, you have to look maybe at another venue for games going forward. But that would be a great problem to have. I mean, we've set ourselves a target. We want to be, you know, selling out that or getting close to having a, you know, big crowds in there every every game. We want to be over 1,000 people because that would then put us over the average for the A-League uh, as a whole. Because there's no doubt that the World Cup in Australia, and I don't know if you guys have known people in Australia or you sort of tapped into, it, I was over there for a bit and they went ballistic. I mean, it was the number one thing on everybody's lips for two weeks while Australia was doing so well. They've got a mass, they had a massive, massive uptick, um, uptake given uh, coming out of the World Cup and A-League clubs have benefited from that. There is no doubt. Not quite as much here. Uh, so... Uh... 
things look like they're going fairly swimmingly on the pitch. Um, off the pitch, when we started, when the uh, women's team started, there was a lot of involvement with female coaches and uh, support staff. That's kind of not as as high a level now. Uh, is that something that the club's looking to focus on, or is it is it just kind of like you know who's the best person for the job? Ultimately, it's who is the best person of the job. But we always look, especially for the women's department, like is there a female we can bring in? Like we've got a new um, Wendy Turton is a new um, football ops manager, so she's in there. We've got a new physiotherapist uh, who's female, and she's in there. We've got a new S and C coach who's female, and they're in there. Do you know what I mean? We've got people, and especially in the academy, what we're doing now is we're we're bringing people into the academy with a view that these people will be the future football ops in the women's in women's department. You, you obviously you've seen Katie Barrett, so she is. Um, I, I was out at training for the women on their first day, and Katie was there as well. So Katie will be. Uh, Kate, um, Katie and Paul work closely together in the academy. So Katie will be wherever she can. She'll be helping out with the women's team. Um, and then over time, we're always looking for women's coaches that we can bring into the academy because um, that's the pathway. Once you get them there, understand our systems and our processes, then we'll bring you through um, in due course. But, you know, it's when we went back to market, it was actually pretty hard to find female coaches that we um, that were of the right level and had done all the badges and, had, you know, we thought had a good pedigree. Um, and in the end, because obviously with Temps' experience with the um, national teams, um, and also through the academy, he knew all the he knew all the players in the academy, and he, he knew what level they were at. He knew the ones that were ready to come through. And given that that's very much the, the club strategy now, more so than we have done in the past, we've actually made it overt within uh, at the board level where we now have strat- um, you know, segments of players that we'll be bringing through, and the bottom level or, or the entry level is academy. That's those are the players we're looking for. It, it'll be, I would say almost impossible that you'll be coming into the phoenix as a uh, as either a scholarship or, or a minimum wage player and you haven't come through the academy one thing that seems to have been changed this year is it sounds like you guys are going to new south wales pre-season it's something that you've done previously i guess is that a, a reflection that um in the pre- previous two seasons the, the squad has been slow to get into that season and started with quite a few losses at the start uh, no, we've always identified that we're slow to start, and we have done pre-season tours to Australia before with mixed mixing success. Last year, of course, we had a deep run into the Australia Cup, so that and it, believe me, it is not a, a cheap exercise. When, even when you, if you go to the Australia for a week for your pre-season, you're looking at hundred grand. That's what you're up for. You're taking the entire squad and their support staff, and it's not cheap. So we have to be really, really careful. So when you're in the Australia Cup. While well, some costs are covered, a lot of it isn't. But it actually acts as a preseason for us now because we went out to Man City in the in the uh, round of sixteen, thirty two, sixteen. Melbourne that, City, dummy. Melbourne City. What did I say? Man City. Same thing, yeah. mate. Um, so when we went out to them, we we had to revisit it and go. Well, the the, the plan now is this is for the men and the women. We can talk about separately, but for the men, though, we specifically asked them to play away for the first round. Um, and that means that we'll go over a week earlier and we'll, we'll suck it up for the cost there and we'll play a couple of games in New South Wales because there's more teams in New South Wales than anywhere else. Play a couple of games there and then we can roll into the first game. And the way the A-League works, of course, is the flights are covered by the league. So essentially they're covering the flights because of our first game. So it takes probably a fifth or a quarter of the cost out when the flights are covered because um, the flights still haven't come down to what they were like pre-level. It's pretty expensive. So that's sort of... And then we've moved some money around to pay for the accommodation, the food while we're over there. Um, so that, that sort of tidies up the preseason for the men and they'll play games here before they go and all that sort of stuff. Like they played Olympic a couple of weeks ago. Um, the women, we are going to do something slightly different because the plan was to do the same thing for the women, was to go away for the first weekend, flights covered by the league, and then we'll play a couple of games. But And I think quite rightly, the A-League, uh, APL have said we want the Wellington Phoenix to be at home for that first weekend and we want to play a standalone game at Sky. Um, so we said, okay, 100% supportive of that, but it, it kind of like screws up our pre-season. So they're coming to the party to help with a little bit of funding so that we can send the women over uh, in the week in the lead up to the first game. They'll go over for a couple for, I think about five days, play a couple of games and then come back straight into the first game. So yeah, look, it's expensive, but we think it's very important because there's nothing like playing up against other A-League opposition. Of course, 
you know, in New South Wales, it's easy for them. You know, it's easy for the Mariners, it's easy for the Wanderers, it's easy for Sydney and, and MacArthur. They just drive the road. They've got other A-League opposition. Whereas for teams like us and Perth, it's particularly hard for even for Adelaide and, and Brisbane. I want to come back to a point that you uh, made earlier on about um, uh, being more overt and signing out of your academy. Yeah. Uh, it seems that, like there's a lot of clubs doing that at the moment. Is that just a general belt tightening, hey, it's the recession, or is it kind of a shift in focus as well? I mean, obviously we've got quite a few more women's imports that have got to be paid for from out of in a budget. I mean, for us, I mean, if you look at it for us, right, we've we've still got four visa players. You know, we've got a fifth one. We're going to keep that up our sleeve. We'll look at it again in Jan. But when we've done it, you've looked at it and gone, we spent more money on players last year than we've ever spent. We spent a lot of money because we wanted to go deep. You know, Ufis last year, go deep into uh, into the finals and give a decent crack at it. The reality is, is we didn't go any further. We went out first week of the, of the, of the finals and our crowds didn't increase. So we did, despite spending a million dollars more on players, we got, we were worse off because we just, we didn't, we lost money in terms of the return on that investment and everything came, came exponentially more expensive as well on the back of, like you say, the recession and all these prices going up. So just financially just didn't make any sense, right? We didn't, like I say, you, you kind of bank on it, you go, okay, if we have a decent, decent crack at it and you put a lot of money in there that, that you know you win these games and the crowds will come back and it essentially becomes self-financing. Well, it doesn't didn't work that at all. If you look at the at how the A League turned out, I know it might be a bit of an aberration, but um, I would say that Mariners probably spent one fifth of what Manchester, <laughs> what Melbourne City were paying. You know, reality is is I mean, and I, that's probably a once in a ten year occurrence where that's going to happen again. But it, it, it doesn't, it does prove the fact. I mean, I know for a fact when Sydney brought in Alessandro Del Piero, they lost millions on Del Piero. It didn't return anything on it. So spending a lot of money on players is a very, it's a dubious, it's, it's risky. It's hugely risky. And unless it really comes off and the crowds really come back or you can drive a lot of sponsorship, it doesn't make any sense. Whereas we know that if we bring through youth players, We've got good quality players coming through the academy, like good quality. I mean, if you look at Finn Sermon, to be fair, he should have been given probably more of a run than he has been to date. He's, he's quality. He's got all the attributes to be a top quality player. He just needs the minutes. And all the research says these youth players will get better if you give them the minutes. They just need to be played. And to date, and this is what Chiefy, this was Chiefy's strategy. I mean, when he interviewed for the role, this was his strategy, bring through the youth players. And he's done it. He's backed it up. He's signed a lot of youth players out of the academy. Now we've just got to give them the minutes, develop them, and then sell them on to somebody else where they go on to their next big career move. That's good for the club financially, uh, and it's good for the player. And if you get that mix just right, and we think we're, you know, we have a good shot of it with Oscar Zavada, Boja de Krajev, you know, we've got good um, imports around Scotty Wooden, you know, we've got good imports around these younger players that you get that mix right, you know, and you might have it. You might have gold dust, and you go deep into the finals. Uh, make a grand final, whatever, but it reduces the risk and you're not all of a sudden having to write, the owners aren't having to write massive checks which don't pay off. It's one of the maybe criticisms of, of that approach is um, is, it, is the perception that you're only signing up your academy players and not looking elsewhere within New Zealand for, you know, the younger players. That, you think that's a fair criticism or, or does is there stuff going behind the scenes that, you know, Joe Punter doesn't doesn't see. Yeah, oh, look, I, I look. They, we certainly are always on the lookout for players, right? Because we want to have the best players. The reality is that some players don't want to come for whatever, whatever reason. They don't want to come to Wellington, uh, or they haven't made themselves available, or, or, or whatever. But we want the best players because it makes total sense. We've got the best players. We bring them through, then they can. It's a potential sale, and that's you know, look, we've we've been reasonably successful in bringing players even quite late in their careers. Like Macau was a perfect example. Quite late in his career, came over, used us as a stepping stone and move on to a, a bigger contract. And that's a win-win from, anybody, from everybody. Um, unfortunately, Ole's not producing the players they, they used to. The, the thing about the academy is like they do a good job. The, the longer that they are with us, the, the, the larger the solidarity is, payment is, the larger the, the training compensation is. And it just makes more sense for us as a club. If we're trying to get this thing to wash its face, that's the way to do it, is to have players longer in your academy so that when you sell them onto a bigger club, they're having to clip the ticket. But this also goes back to not other, it's where they're coming from the junior club as well. I mean, Island Bay 
made, it's not at my position to, to say how much Holland Bay, Holland Bay did very well out of Libby Kikachi because he was with them for a long time. Now, that, that, that's the model, right? Develop the players at a young age, get them to the Phoenix Academy, get them on the world stage and then flick them on because as those clubs move them through, there's a big payday if they go for big checks at the end of the day when they get transferred. And they, those junior clubs get a massive amount of solidarity uh, depending on how long the player's been there for. But you, as, a, as an amateur club, you can't. You can't on-sell the player without them being in the shop window. So, I mean, like I say, we're always looking for it. We want to find those best players. Um, and, of course, because the, be- the better players are, uh, they come with us, the, the more chances that we can win games as well. So, yeah, look, do we get everybody? No, we don't get everybody. But we'd certainly hope that we get the most, the most of them. And, but, you know, we look at all the, the, the age groups. We look at all the, the players who are selected for New Zealand and the questions are asked. You know, when we haven't got that player, we go to now Steve Coleman and say, who's this player? Do you know who this player is? Why haven't we seen this player? And Steve, most 90% of the time goes, I know this player. I know the family. I've talked to them. Every now and then we'll say, he'll say, I don't know who that is. I'm going to go away and find out. But, you know, 95% of the time we've either been there, talked to him. There's a player that's in one of the age groups now who's actually coming in next year. So Steve's already identified him and, and it's, just, it's just a timing thing. You know, often it's with age and the parents don't want them leaving home too young, all this kind of stuff. But yeah, look, our, if we could have the, you know, all the best players, of course, we'd have all the best players. Um, so it seems like there's a there's quite a few clubs who are belt tightening and more playing the money ball out of out of the academy. Um, but there's obviously clubs who are slightly better off. Um, God forbid we say Man- Manchester City, um, as you keep mentioning. Um, is it is this going to be one of those seasons where we just see that there's a couple of clubs who are just able to spend their way to you know top three, and we just have to set our sights nah. a little lower? Or well, I've never it... thought that. I've never thought that about the A League because, like you saw with Mariners last year, and it's happened with other clubs. So it's not a it's not a, a exact science. I, I, you know, Sydney tend to want to spend money and buy success, but it doesn't work. You know, it, it, I think it's. I don't think that you have, unless you've got really. Melbourne City are probably the only exception, given that they do have these massive you know, connections all around the world, right? And that is the model that everybody's sort of aspiring to. It's like building these connections with other clubs so that you can access these players, good players, without having to spend a lot of money. And that's, you know, ultimately that's the, the direction that we want to go. And it's not as easy if you're sort of outside City Football Group or something similar, but you can build in, you know, relationships where you can sort of, you have a quasi-football group amongst yourselves. And that's ultimately the sort of direction that we want to go in. But I don't think it's going to be as, as simple as, you know, you're going to have Melbourne City, Melbourne Victory. I mean, look at Melbourne Victory. They spend a crap load of money on Nanny and a whole lot of other players. It just doesn't come off. So it, it, it's not it's not necessarily a straight correlation between how much money you spend and, and how, if you're going to win the A-League. Not at all. Um, like I say, it's a matter of you've got to do it smart. And we, like I say, we back our, our ability of our academy to, to bring through these players. And there's some really good players coming through. And you sprinkle them in with a few quality imports, and I think you can have you can have a, a really challenging team. And then, you know, once you get to the finals, we know it's knockout football, right? You just have to win a couple of games, and you're in the grand final. Um, you mentioned obviously with the talk of the academy, there's obviously a bit of a risk coming up for that academy if and when um, this Auckland franchise gets off the ground. Um, that's effectively going to halve your ability for the academy to target. Um, talented youth. How much of it that is playing into your thinking at the moment? How much preparation is the club doing for that? Yeah, so it's obviously, as we've evaluated the Auckland franchise, you know, there's a certainly pros and cons, right? I mean, ultimately, it's good for football. It's good for football in New Zealand. So, you know, to be absolutely honest with you, Rob has helped out APL. and We've had conversations with APL and tried to assist where we can in terms of getting an Auckland franchise. And I'll be really open and honest about that to get an Auckland franchise across the line. And I know that Rob has been helping out in that space too, at, at the owner to a chairman level, because we honestly believe an Auckland franchise will drag a lot of media, Auckland media into the football conversation and will raise the profile of football in this country and ultimately raise the quality of players that have been developed. Right? It can only be a good thing. And the need is, of course, is sponsorship will be harder for us. No doubt about it. But we have set up a quasi office in Auckland now where we have our commercial manager is now largely based um, to shore up our presence up there. Um, in fact, I'm going up there tomorrow. Um, we've also 
um, we're looking at how we can work with more clubs up there. So we have relationships up there, continue to work with those clubs. Um, but, it, you know, it will be tougher, you know, and there'll be an inflationary pressure on players' salaries, no doubt about it, because we'll be competing for the same players. The flip side of that is we are 12 years ahead of any new franchise that comes in. We've got an amazing academy, which has an incredible amount of IP. We have a, a tertiary diploma that runs out of our academy that we offer kids. They can do, a, it's now a, a degree that we run through AUT. We have a pathway to US scholarships where a player, if they want to go to US on a full scholarship, like we have with Joe Bell, with Willem Ebbinge, all gone to US scholarships. Which we, and there's many, many, many more. Kelvin Harris all came through our academy and went off to the US. And which we facilitated. Um, we've got an amazing facility at NZCIS, which is without parallel anywhere in Australia, New Zealand, and some and in some ways. We had FIFA guys out here in the World Cup, and they had a, I had a the guy from Qatar, which is where Aspire is based, and he said our technology that we have built into NZCIS or the guys have built into exceeds that of Aspire. So we have a lot of competitive advantage in a number of areas. Now, if players decide that they want to play for the Auckland franchise, which is a New franchise, you know, don't know what the training venue is, don't know where their, their stadium's going to be playing. They're starting from scratch. How big are their budgets going to be? What's their IP like? You know what I mean? It's a risk. So I, I, we sort of, we're confident in our product and we're confident in our structures. We're confident in, in, our, in our processes in the academy. We're confident in the coaches we've got in the academy. Um, so we feel like we're, we're certainly well advanced when compared to the Auckland franchise. It might take them five years to catch up. It might take them a little bit longer, but you know, I think we've got the we've got the track record. Given all of that, are you are you seeing any of those pressures start to manifest already? I mean, speculation is only increasing. You know, there's there's been a couple of times that um, media have said, you know, an announcement is imminent. Yeah. Are you already seeing that kind of speculation impact on those discussions with sponsors or players around longer term deals, etc.? Have any impacts yet, or is it is it just not in the market yet? I don't think it's quite enough yet. No, we're not finding it. Like all the all the commercial partners we're talking to are all very interested. And in, to be honest, there's a lot of interest in, on the women's side. There's a lot of people that want to uh, talk to us about that. Um, we've done a really solid amount of business on the commercial side. We've got a really strong commercial team now. So, you know, we're not really seeing it manifest yet. But no doubt, as soon as it goes live, I think it will be difficult. And there might be some players who will go, you know, I'm going to hang on for a bit longer. Um, maybe see what the Auckland franchise is going to offer me. But, you know, you've got to be very careful if you play that game as a player. You know, we I think we know that there are players that have played that game with us where they've gone, we're not going to sign just yet. I want to keep your options open. We don't play that. You know, we go, here's your offer. You either want to play for us or you don't want to play for us. We're not going to keep an offer open to you indefinitely. And Gilly will often go, you've got till Friday. Give them an offer on Monday. You've got till Friday. Uh, as of Friday, the offer's off the table. And some players have called our bluff and we have to be hard on that line because if one player does it, they will all do it. And what they'll do is they'll just say delay it, delay it and delay it. And then they'll get to the start of the season and they'll go, I've taken a, 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 a contract at another club and we've got two days before kickoff and we've lost a, a player. So we've been pretty hard, taking a hard line on that. You either want to play for us or you don't want to play for us. And if you're a player that's going to play us off against potential an Auckland franchise, then we'll move on because, like I say, we, we actually have a lot of confidence in the players that we're bringing through anyway. Um, you did mention that uh, Rob, etc., had um, been involved in assisting via the APL with this franchise. Obviously, he has to see some upside in this and presumably yeah, you yeah. do as well. Can you just whip through the um, what are the opportunities there for you? No, it, it's really what I mentioned before, Frosty. It's that stuff like... Uh, it's going to raise the profile of football. The, the, one of the major issues we have in Wellington is there's no media outlets down here anymore. You've got um, Philip Lolo at staff who does a good job. Um, uh, there's a couple of, of uh, a lot of the, um, even the TV reporters now are either <laughs> over in France at the World Cup or aren't based in here anymore. So it's hard for us to get traction. We have to create a lot of that content ourselves through our own channels. Um, you know, we signed Annalie Longo today and it didn't turn up on any of the media channels, right? Um, but, you know, an Auckland franchise would potentially get a bit more traction than that. You know, we'd love to be doing Crowd Goes Wild every week if we could, but, you know, we can't do it because they don't have any, they have no staff resources down here. Now, an Auckland franchise will suck up a lot of that. There's no doubt about they'll get that profile. A bit like, you know, maybe, hopefully a bit like the Warriors do at the moment. 
because they're based in Auckland, they get a lot of media coverage. We don't get that because we don't have as many media down here, but at least if nothing else, it raises the profile of the game um, and hopefully that'll flow through. And of course, you know, one derby a year, two derbies a year. I know it's not a true derby where you can drive across town to, to get to, to go support the team, but, you know, this, that first game, Auckland versus Wellington, um, which we'd want to be at Sky, you know, that'll be a good game, right? And, you know, if we get 25,000, that's pretty decent. And what will happen to the uh, distance derby because uh, Auckland is further away to Perth than Wellington is? Yeah. Um, I'm not too worried about distance derby. We'll have two derbies. We'll have to, I think that cup still exists somewhere. And we actually might. I think we hold it, don't we? Um, but, yeah, we've got we've got the distance derby. We actually have the sister city shield, which is actually, funny enough, is Porirua and, and Western Sydney. They're sister cities. Um, so um, Western Sydney hold that at the moment. So there are a couple of trophies that we play for every year. Um, but, you know, we'd have to find a trophy that Auckland versus Wellington pay for in the A-League. That'd be massive. Oh, that's the other thing. I'm not actually sure um, what the time. I Again, we don't probably don't really know that much more than everybody else. Like, uh, is Auckland side going to have a, uh, a women's team from day one? Don't know. Are they going to have a youth side from day one? Are they going to have a reserve side? Are they going to play in the Auckland League? I mean... Again, the, the advantage the Auckland team has is we've broken all the, you know, we've broken the back of all the hard work over the years about getting teams into youth grades and getting teams into the National League, which were all very difficult, hard conversations to have. But we've actually now set the precedent. These guys are going to coast in on the Wellington Phoenix's hard work we've built up over the years and they'll get teams straight into the National League and uh, Northern League and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it's a good thing for football, right? If, we, if New Zealand football is going to compete on the world stage, we can't just be the one Phoenix doing all the heavy lifting. We need somebody else to be doing it. New Zealand football must be rubbing their hands together with glue, right? With another person's funding the development of the young players. God forbid we should mention doing doing their work. Um, I'm not bitter at all. Uh, um, if and when this kind of comes through, like obviously with the belt tightening that's going on and we're seeing um, a lot of, uh, more risk averse signings, you know, kids that you know coming through the academy, etc. Um, uh, do you think that that's going to affect long term your ability to get Kiwi players through, or is just the kids coming through the academy that's going to keep continuing? Therefore, yeah, we're going to keep signing these. Look, we don't know because it hasn't happened yet. But I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I sort of back our coaches to, to you know find players and. I mean, there are more, if you're talking about the Auckland thing, there are more good players than just players in Auckland, right? There are a lot of players, good players from outside Auckland that, can, that are coming through. Um, and some of them come from the South Island, God forbid. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's, you know, it, it's it, it's got a lot of legs on it. So I honestly believe in, you know, part of it is another reason we're doing, not reason we're doing it, we think a positive association is that, you know, fans will, will identify with these players. And I go, that's a kid, you know, I used to play, my kids play, used to play at the same club with them or, you know, we've all, you know, we, we went to the same school together. You know, and people identify with local New Zealand players, um, whether they come from Christchurch or Dunedin or Invercargill or Palmerston North or you know, New Plymouth, Napier, whatever, and they end up in our academy and then fans will identify with them and want to watch them and see how they're doing. And you, you don't necessarily get that with the visa players. They don't get quite the association. Um, but you're right. I mean, just coming back to the point you made before, it certainly is a strategy... Uh, look, uh, Football Australia has identified it um, and it's sort of filtered down to, a, uh, to APL that this seems to be the future of football in, in, in Australia and New Zealand is developed rather than try and buy success. We've sort of, we'd identified it, to be honest, maybe three or four years ago um, and you would have seen that as we've signed more players out of the academy in the last couple of years. But this year we've actually quantified it as a, as a you know, a, a, um, a more rock solid strategy where, like I say, that bottom tier, the scholarship will only ever come out of the academy and maybe players from, from around New Zealand, maybe late developers that we don't see. We want to, we want them to be New Zealand players. But again, I come back to the the point that the longer they're with us, the greater the financial return in terms of solidarity and training compensation. And that's very, very important. If we're going to get to this stage where the club's washing its face, we've got to be uh, tapping into those. And FIFA have introduced those, you know, um, solidarity and training conversations specifically to help smaller clubs close the gap so they're not continuing to lose money. Let's uh, change tack and talk about the uh, more concrete and short-term future rather than the um, uh, the speculative one. Um, you've 
the clubs moved away from the 3 p.m. games that were kind of a feature of last season. Um, why is that? That we did that research with the fans, you know, we did that fan research at the end of the season, and that's <laughs> that's the feedback we got. 3 p.m. I thought 3 p.m. would be great, but the feedback was it was still too much within whether it's uh, afternoon sports in summer or it's you know shopping time or whatever as people are doing at the beach or whatever. Um, and, and when we did the analysis on attendances, it showed 3 p.m. wasn't the, the, as popular as we thought it was going to be. And the feedback was ideally like a 5 p.m., which is closer to later in the day, but not so late as like really late for young kids. I mean, there, there, I mean, we've got a few Friday nights in there as well. We did say at APL we wanted to trial a Friday night again to see whether we, that could, we have done it in the past, as you guys know, um, sort of middling success. But there was a feeling within the staff that and it was actually backed up by the research that friday night could be a decent option so we've, to be honest i think we've got maybe one too many friday nights um but you know like i say it did come out in the research people wanted it um and it was a feeling amongst the staff that maybe the market has shifted a little bit from the last time we tried it maybe five five years ago wherever it was now we're going to give it a go and, and, and see if we. I mean, ultimately we've got to try and chase the chase the crowd, right? So if, if it makes sense and it comes off, then then we'll do it. But again, but it's not it's nothing. We didn't haven't done this just to because we think you know we just want to change it. It's the reaction to what fans were telling us and what the research was telling us. And again, the crowd figures haven't been great at three pm. So you know people were voting with their feet. Yeah, it was right in the middle of my nap time, mate. So yeah. <laughs> Real problem. Um, so, uh, with uh, it doesn't sound like there was a lot of kind of pushback around the um, timeframes that you were looking for for kickoffs. Is that is that a thing now? We don't have to worry about broadcaster going. No, you must play at. Funny, funny enough, there certainly wasn't last year. Like three p.m. in New Zealand's one p.m. Sydney. That's terrible for Sydney. Now there wasn't last year but it's there's been a bit of a shift because paramount plus is the broadcaster paramount plus and 10 bowl is the broadcaster in australia and there is a bit more um the feedback from apl was uh, paramount plus was a little bit stronger this year in terms of the the kickoff times less so that with wellington but more so with some of the other clubs um and i think we sort of like fell into line without even having to ask it by pushing it slightly later um but yeah no the first season paramount plus said look We'd rather see full stadiums on the TV than empty stadiums. So whatever you guys want to work, but this time it's more about the ratings. And so they've sort of pushed, again, I say less so with us, but more so with some of the other Australian teams. They want them to be playing in prime time. Um, let's talk uh, venues as well as times. Um, you've The men's team still has uh, two TBC games. Um, traditionally, they've gone to Auckland if possible with obviously the uh, a potential Auckland franchise going there, is it something you're deliberately targeting or is it is it not in Auckland because of that? No, no, chances are they'll, they'll be Auckland. We're still, we're, there's a bit of, there's a bit of jiggery-pokery we're trying to do with those games and once we announce it, you'll kind of see why. But it might, yeah, highly, like, highly likely they'll, they'll both be in Auckland. Um, and what's the second part to your question? No, I was just asking why. No, 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 no. no the, the, yeah, I mean, it's still. I think reality was there's that the Phoenix taking games, home games to Auckland after it's an Auckland franchise is almost impossible. Right? Because what, what's the point? Like, no one's going to go to a home Phoenix game if you're playing against an Auckland team. Because half the point with Auckland is the scarcity factor. Um, so we'd, we'd still want to play games outside Wellington because I think it's important for us to have a national presence. But that might be Christchurch. Uh, it might be, it could be Napier, New Plymouth. I mean, Christchurch makes the most sense, especially once this new stadium comes on board. And um, the CEO there is very good. She's um, quite proactive. And um, we have spoken to her in the past. Again, the timing is not quite right. But I think um, it would be nice to have a bit of a relationship with Christchurch. Our community program, we're just expanding the, the Football for All program, is expanding into Christchurch. So it's a nice little tie in there that we can make with our, the, the community, um, having young kids you know, playing football because um, it's getting quite big down there. So I think that could be a nice little time. But at the moment, yeah, it's it probably be more than likely will be Auckland again for those dates. Um, but more than likely, this will be the last year that Phoenix plays home games in Auckland. Yes, if an Auckland yeah. franchise comes on. 
Yeah, but of course you'd still work, play that away derby there up there anyway for the Auckland. Yeah, players. yeah, no, of course. And in fact, we've you know it might you know at the moment they play in, in Australia you play uh, one team three times home and away and then another one right. So obviously that makes sense. That would be our game until you go to the full, you know, sixteen teams and you're playing thirty rounds. They'll they'll do these make up rounds and those are really just commercial generation rounds for the league. Oh, that's cynical, Tommy. Oh, well, I mean, yes. Everyone's it's all right. You're the general manager. You're allowed to be slightly cynical at times. Um, on to uh, some home games rather than away. Um, there are a couple of weekends where the women's and the men's team are playing uh, in Wellington, uh, greater region, uh, but at different venues and different days. Yeah. What's the thinking there? Um, there... It comes down to the draw. Like where we didn't want to do too many double headers um, for a number of reasons. One, it's actually really, really expensive, and it's hard to get that across the line. Um, we did want to do the first time they're both at home a double header, and sometimes the, when the venues aren't ready, aren't available, we've had to do double headers at Sky, which is okay. It's not great, but it's okay. And then the other ones is is um, um, it's just the way the draws fallen. Like the, the women happen to be playing on a Sunday and the men are playing on a Saturday. Um, and, you know, we'd just go, we'll play one game at Sky and the next game will be at, at Jerry Collins or wherever it is. It's just the way the draws fallen. Um, does this does this sort of thing still make you grumpy with the residents of uh, Petoni when they shut down um, the Petoni Rec thing? Do you know what? I found those drawings that Gareth came up with. I just stumbled upon them somewhere. And I look back and I'm like, that would have been a mint stadium. I mean, oh, look, as we all know with, with Gareth and all, all, you know, I'm, I think Gareth's a terrific character, right? But, you know, as we've seen with Top, like playing the political game is not really Gareth's strong point, right? He's more like, you know, I'll fund it. I'll do the, I'll do the, um, uh, the research. If it makes sense, I'll run with it. But, you know, if you're in the middle of a residential zone or a residential area and you've got to get people on board, it's not really Gareth's strong point. And that's where we went wrong with that, right? So you got all these drawings up. That would have been, what a great stadium. What an asset to the city and to the region that would have been. And imagine, you know, what games we could have had here, what concerts we could have had here if we'd done this little, you know, ten to 12,000 seat stadium. And it would have been, he, Gareth doesn't do anything by halves. He would have, that would have been architecturally, you know, quite stunning, but. Yeah, it is what it is, right? Yep. There's quite a few feverites living out in Petoni as well now. So There is quite a few. Maybe, maybe you should try again. <laughs> yeah. I don't have, I've got to be honest, I mean, I work with government a lot and work with councils a lot. I would not have the patience to do it. I just, it's, it would just kill you, wouldn't it? Leave that to somebody else. I guess, I guess, relatedly though, what is, what is the long-term plan in that space? Because obviously we know Sky isn't the perfect stadium for us. The club intends to try and be around for a long time and, you know, make this a sustainable business model. What is what is the vision in that space? You know, obviously there are some things that are pie in the sky, probably not worth the effort, but is there is there something tangible in the in the 10-year, 20-year strategy around that? Or is it just we'll hope um, something comes together without um, too much effort from you guys having to go in, I guess? Um. It's not something that we will fund, but there are people talking about things. Um, but, you know, it's minimum five years away. Um, and whether any of us are going to be around here in five years to see it, I, I don't know. Um, but it's, look, we've got enough, you know, issues that we've got to fight and, you know, and holes we've got to fill. So we're certainly not going to take on another massive one. Because you're looking now at, you know, hundred million dollars for a, for a small one, right? And there are right, there are decent smaller stadiums which are quite cleverly made now. You know that are green, that are that aren't all concrete. That do you know? What I mean, that you can do quite a good job. That are quite smart, but it takes someone with a lot of gumption to do it. Um, and as we all know, Wellington's got pipes to fix. Hutt's got this massive development on the, um, what are they calling it? The, down at the water, down at the river, the river link part project, whatever. You know, there, are, there there's a lot of stress on, on council. There always has been. There always will be. There's a lot of stress on council resources. And this is that, 
this is the issue that Auckland had prior to the World Cup, right? And they had the opportunity to build that stadium. You need an, you need a something like that. Unless you've got some guy that's going to really kind of, I, I want to do this and build this stadium. And I've got private equity money that's going to fund it or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, look, I, I, do I think it can happen? I think I actually think it can happen, but it's, it's, it's not high on the priority list at the moment. And, you know, if it bubbles away in the background and then it happens, then all power to them. But, um, yeah, it's not something that we're actively sort of pursuing. Um, obviously, you mentioned the, those kind of five-year plans. Uh, you've actually ticked off a whole lot of things in the last couple of years, and I hope you reflect on that. Um, getting the women's team up and going, the academy now set up from basically right out of the womb almost, uh, and players making that bridge through from the academy. Uh, what else is left on that list? I mean, the, you know, the boutique stadium, what else? The big one for us is, is coming up with a solution to the financial hole. It always has been, but we're, we're working on a project now that all things being equal would really help us close the gap so the owners aren't continuing to write checks. And it could end up being a really good initiative for the, for the city and for the region. Um, and, you know, what are we now? September. So I'd suggest probably over the next three months we'll have a really good feel whether that's going to come off or not. Um, fingers crossed it does. Um, cryptocurrency. Oh, jeez. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, we're not Perth glory, mate. Don't worry about that. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Just imagine some guy coming and pays everyone in crypto. Um, but yeah, look, that to me is, that's my number one project at the moment. Um there is obviously continuing development stuff we're doing around NZCIS and how we work there. And the other one is um, building a, that network of clubs that we can tap into other players, resource, other clubs' resources, other clubs' coaching. We can share players, share coaching resources. That's a little bit further down the track. Um, but that's as we've as this World Cup's happened and we've made contacts. I can't count the number of people that have come through NZCIS over the course of the World Cup. You know, we had we had a, a FIFA delegation come through. Um, Gilly had the Manchester United head of women's program come through. I had the Japanese FA come through. Um, there were, we had people from clubs all around the world drop in and visit. The APL came through twice. Do you know what I mean? We've had so many people come through. It's now we've got to take stock of that and go back and revisit some of these and go, okay, we've made all these contacts. Um, how do we tie them all together? Is there, is there an option there to, to start building some relationships with other clubs? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, those are the sort of the main ones. If we can get this project off the ground where we can drive some revenue through the club and then potentially have a club which is attractive to other, other clubs and we can build the club-to-club you know, -club relationships to be a quasi-city football group, then we'd be in a pretty good space going forward. With that kind of interim, with the checks having to be cut still, um, I've got a question here that says, what's the health of the club like? I'm kind of more worried about Rob's health. yeah. We had a board meeting this afternoon, actually, and he uh, he passes on his regards, by the way. I said, we're doing the other field tonight. And he said, well, ask the other people how they're going to regenerate, which is, you know, that's a very good Rob question, right? So, like, how do we help you guys regenerate? And by that, Yellow Fever, because Yellow Fever drives that whole atmosphere on game day. It's important to us. It's like, when you're talking about players, I'd rather take the salary for a player and allocate some of that dollars to you guys. Like, how can Done. we help you guys? <laughs> to reinvigorate the yellow fever to get like students on board or, or kids coming to school, whatever it is, that would be that would be a great initiative. I'm I'm hearing some solid. Friday night bar tabs coming for those games. That, well, but he said that Rob said he'll put on a bus for the women's game from backbench or wherever you want to go from. He'll pay for it. Um, that, look, he's he's constantly working in in the background. He's you know doing the financing of the club. He's in a good space. He he gets. You know, we, we do, he gets her in a good health in terms of what we've built, like across exactly what you say. I mean, sometimes you forget and you've got to take some stock and go back and look at what we've done and what we've built. And it is, you know, even within, we had the um, APL came out last week and we took them through eight uh, NZCIS and then we had a you know, two or three hour session with them. And they were, they're relatively new APL guys and they were genuinely impressed by everything that we've been doing. We laid it on thick to say, look, APL doesn't support us as much as they need to, as much as they support the other clubs. And they got that message loud and clear. My classic example is that um, the reality TV show that they had last year. And I was furious that because we said to them, why don't you do the women's first game in Wellington? Because you can go, half the good women were, were, were saying at on site at NT Series. 
So you can get them behind them, have them breakfast, go into training, everything. It'd be fantastic. And then we can roll it out to that first game. I said, I guarantee you, I can't. I said, we're going to go big on that first game. We'll get a decent crowd and that'll be the pinnacle, right? Here they are, women's team playing, first game ever played in New Zealand professional. What a great story. And the feedback we got from APL was we don't have the resources in New Zealand to do it. So we'll stick to our, our knitting, right? And we'll do bloody some Craig Cum- Cummings from bloody uh, Central Coast and, or, or something like that, whatever it was. Or Nanny. God forbid, Nanny, they did the first game and he was gone within a couple of weeks. Just, just so you could just see it coming. And I was furious with them. And then the, the one they eventually did was right at the end of the season. It was their women's last game. And I said, our ability to sell tickets, season memberships like that, is zero. And we had this continual fight with you guys to get it. And we were, again, we were left to like, some clubs had done three episodes and we hadn't even done one. And they got that loud and clear. right? But they also did acknowledge what we have done and quietly built it and be building this in the background. A facility like no other, a development squad like no other. We, we shared to them how much we'd done in transfer revenue over the last year. And that's right up there. Um, I think um, Melbourne City went past us with the Geordie Boss. And Melbourne City were above us. And Mariners were above us, obviously, especially with Tilio. And we might have been like fourth, I think, in terms of fifth in terms of the players' revenue sales that we've generated, which they didn't really realise. Um, so, really, really, really good story. Um, but you know, you know, we don't largely get we don't certainly in Australia we don't get credit for it because we're not in New South Wales or not in Victoria, and we passed on our you know big disappointment with the Keep Up app and how it plays out to the New Zealand market and the fact that half of our Ferns players had come out of the A-League W, half of our players, and hardly any of them had come out of the um, of the Australian team had come out of A-League W. You know, Courtney Vine and maybe one other player, whatever it was, I can't remember. And they just didn't, you know, we, they refused to acknowledge it. We When we announced the Venezuelan striker, they didn't even run with it. I, I keep up, didn't even run with that story. So, you know, they, they got that message loud and clear, and especially now if an Auckland franchise comes in, they have to be giving it more um, the New Zealand market. They've got this Aussie abroads, Aussie abroad um, segment on keep up. Why isn't that Aussie New Zealand players abroad? You know, just simple things. Um, so they're slowly getting that message and it's filtering down. But you know, we're going to keep pushing that really, really hard. That was a rant. I got really angry when APL were here because you know, it just sort of all built up over the World Cup. Because I, I was so furious over you know the amount of coverage that we this keep up at was getting, and and because keep up is expensive. Really, really, it's a massive expense that the A-League has built, APL has invested into. And we're 112th, right? Where's our, where's our share of that, our, our investment into that? So with all that anger you're throwing out into the airwaves, Domi, how, how was the Schadenfreude when um, the, the announcement, well, the leak, the, the finals are moving away from New South Wales after selling them? Yeah, I, um, so that came out this afternoon, right? I, I didn't yeah. really... I got a, I sort of we got an email from APR saying, oh, by the way, this is breaking, and and new commissioner of leagues, Nick Garcia, is going to ring you to talk about it. And I had a board meeting at three, and he rang me at five to three. And I said, Mum, just to go to the board meeting, but what can you tell me? And he sort of gave me the background, but he didn't. I didn't realise that this thing is, uh, and I don't know how true. I don't know how much truth is in this. But you know, this whole magic round, unity round, whatever you want to call it, being repl- replacing the grand final. This is all news, right? This is kind of one of those things where it's broken and no one really knows how much truth is behind it. And he couldn't really give me any much any more details. So yeah, uh, the irony. I mean, I, I think they genuinely. I mean, I think we've talked about this before. They genuinely realised they copped up with that last year in terms of even if it was the right move for the league financially, the way that it was handled was extremely poor. Now, if it ends up being egg on their face and they're actually now going to drop it. Um, and replace it with the magic round, then maybe that's a great. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you guys think. I mean, you know, if they do a magic round, they drop this whole grand final has to be in New South Wales, but they'll get a magic round instead. I mean, to me, I would have thought for a New Zealand fan, that's not a bad trade off, right? Because then, it's so true, the Wellington Phoenix have a grand final, we would have it in, in mm. Wellington. I think a magic round right. like that's surely a better proposition for a fan, right? I think at least well, your team's going to be playing. There's there's a lot of yeah. football to watch. You know, there's there's stuff to like about that. I mean, it's it's still going to be expensive. And there's probably downsides, but it's it's got to be a better proposition to spend your money on than a grand final that you've looked forward to your whole footballing life being in your hometown that isn't. You know, and it has to be better for New South Wales, right? Because you'll have twelve teams there. 
12, 12 sets of fans. I'm, I'm, I'm far more likely sets of to riots. spend a... No, I'm far more likely to go to Sydney for the weekend, though, and go to all of the games and take the family over than I am to book now to go to a grand final that there's no guarantee I'll make and I'm possibly losing money on it. Hmm. Obviously, you can trick the kids and say the magic round is Harry Potter, so you know, get you across the. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, that's enough dad jokes. Um, we're kind of getting. Well, in fact, we've just ticked over an hour, so we should probably wrap this up as quickly as we can before we all turn into well pumpkins, I guess. Uh, so, Domi, you're about to come into the. Uh, women's and men's season with a bit of gusto what's the one thing you want out of it um i'd really like to get the crowds back if we could get the crowds back supporting that team especially you know i think the women's team at jerry collins get crowds you know turning up to that would be fantastic um you asked about memberships memberships are down on last season um, I think there's obviously some reasons for that in terms of the financial situation and, and the, you know, the crisis, the cost of living crisis we're all under. We're not doing too bad, but it'd be nice to have a few more memberships under our belt going into the season. But yeah, the, 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 the crowd's turning out to watch the team, you know, uh, a full, you know, not, even a decent start, um, crowd at, at Sky does make a difference to the players. I know it and they, they talk about it and they have said it, you know, you get 8,000, 9,000 people, that actually feels decent. Um, and if we got, you know, if we got 2,000 at Jerry Collins for women, I mean, how great would that be? It would just go off. I mean, I'm genuinely excited about the women's team. I think they're recruited really, really well. You know, the quality of the young New Zealand players coming through, I mean, I really want to see how, how some of these kids that have come through the academy, I've, I've been watching now for like three, four years, um, how they perform against the, you know, professional women. The imports look really, really good. We've still got one to announce hopefully soon. And, you know, that could be really exciting. And then same with the men's team, you know, some of these signings out of the academy. I mean, you know, I've got to be honest with you, as a, you know, as a sort of administrator, I, I try and go to as many academy games as I can. Um, but when you go down there and see some of these players play, you, it's actually much more satisfying to see a young New Zealand kid coming through than to sign, you know, a junior men Australian or a, or a player from, you know, Costa Rica or you know, Italy or somewhere that we don't really have any affinity with and you're kind of hoping it ends up being quite good, but you never know how committed they are to the club. Whereas you look at someone like Isaac Hughes, I mean, I don't know if you saw Brenton's um, uh, article today on, on Hughesy and how, you know, his mother just burst into tears when she heard it. And same with, um, I think it was Maisie Fraser's dad when, when they Gilly sat them down and said, look, <laughs> it's funny, I don't think she actually knew what was coming. They actually sat him down and they said, look, we'd like to offer him a, a, a pro contract and I think the dad was genuinely in, you know, her tears in his eyes. I mean, that's, I mean, I mean, if you're not doing it, if you're not actually doing your job for that, that kind of response, that these players are, are genuinely, and to a certain extent staff as well, they're getting something out of it. And I think you're probably in the wrong uh, profession. And, you know, that's the thing that we get to do every day in our club is we build something that makes a real difference to New Zealanders' lives. And if, if we can build something that these fans are proud of and the country is proud of and and the players you know are coming through and we make players you know young players dreams come through come through and that's that's really i think what we do it for as a club and if you ask most i mean you know cams around the club quite a lot you know if you ask the player you know, the staff in the club that's what really gets them excited you know that we're creating something quite special and you know you know they go through to the, to the national teams and win games and hopefully one day get out of group stages at World Cups, then we'll go, yeah, if, if we can be part of that. And that, that's kind of genuinely rewarding, I think, for us as a club. And this is all part of that journey. If we can get fans to come along and support those players and have, build an affinity and a relationship with them and want to follow them, then that's all part of it. Cool. Um, does anyone else have any questions that they desperately want to ask before we uh, let Domi go? Enjoy the rest of his evening. When's the new kit coming out? Ah, uh, we actually had a fan representative group the other day um, and I had to go and look it up. We will have a club day on October 1 and the tip kit will be on show at that. Touch wood. The kit will be on show at that day, October 1. It's not that far away. 
and it should be for sale, the, I think, like the day before. I think we expect it to go. I'm not exactly sure. We've still got to work on some of those details. But I think it will be online the day before. So it's not too far. Cool. Um, so you've heard Domi's offer for um, buses to the women's game and uh, sporking ideas for uh, getting crowd numbers up. If you've got any ideas, throw them on the forum or ping uh David Dome at uh, wellingtonphoenix.com, probably. You can guess it. Admin at wellingtonphoenix.com, Frosty, please. Oh, okay. Well, I wasn't going to give out a real... Just yeah. give out his home address, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come around for a coffee. Um, cool. Thanks, Domi. As always, it has been a brilliant talk. Um, hopefully you get some things that really enthuse you about the uh, season. Uh, and hopefully they come sooner rather than later. Otherwise, um, thanks all for listening, um, and we'll talk soon.